Welcome to Householders, a conversation about American life as Zen practice. I'm Inga Annie Wade. And I'm Kyosaku John Mitchell, and we're lay members of the Atlanta Soto Zen Center. So I might have mentioned this before, but my bachelor's degree is in film and media. And for a while, you know, I, my my dream was to become a video editor. Mm-hmm. And I did I did do video editing for a period of time um, when I was getting my bachelor's degree. And that didn't work out because of uh, disability type stuff. But that's not really what this is about. The reason I brought that up is because I have heard more than one Zen priest of sorts talk about how you have to be careful about the types of media you consume, that it can affect you. And I've heard this from Thich Nhat Hanh, and I've heard this from Brad Warner. And that's interesting because Brad Warner used to make cheesy action movies in Japan. Yeah, he was specifically talking about horror films. Ah, and now singling out a genre like that, that's actually my favorite genre, hmm. funny enough. I also heard <laughs> a, a Twitter from you <laughs> at one point that said you, you don't really watch TV as much anymore. And I was curious why you don't. You know, I understand that you have two children. <laughs> and yes. that could probably put the amount of time you spend watching things um, down uh, quite a bit. But also, it sounded like it was more than that. It definitely... Well, it's it's a little more complicated than that, actually. One of the things that I was saying was that watching things, watching TV and movies is kind of the one thing I still am doing, though I've dramatically curtailed all okay. kinds of other media consumption. So you still watch movies? And and, and TV shows, but, but oh, usually, okay. usually only like classic ones like not like very very few new shows that come out on streaming or whatever are are things that make it into our house we usually watch well i mean we we actually spend a fair amount of time re-watching entire shows that we've seen before like the west wing we're in season five of our second viewing of the west wing and that show can like last you a year you know so it's sort of comfort food more than and it's and it's and it's like enduring storytelling value it's not just for it's not just about a novelty or like a hunger for new uh, content or distractions. Uh-huh. But but the thing I was saying about TV and video and in general movies and TV uh, in that post was actually that that's intentionally to dissociate for a period of time between putting the kids to bed and going to sleep. And I'm using it intent like as a sort of in deliberate distraction. Uh, Mm -hmm. that I feel okay about as opposed to, you know, putting on a podcast. This, that's the, really the thing that I've stopped doing is putting on podcasts while I'm grocery shopping or, uh, you know, things like that, like, like distracting my mind, like the thing you were talking about with exercise the other day. It's like, Uh like distracting my mind while my body does things like that's definitely something I don't do anymore. I can't do anymore. It's not even that I did that. I am not doing it for some kind of moral 
reason. And I got, I got into this a little bit in our last episode about sort of the moralism of mindfully doing things. That's not it at all. It's that I literally can't do it. I can't pay attention to the podcast or pay attention to the grocery shopping. I can't do either, you know? Uh, so I, 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 I don't, I don't, uh, listen to that kind of, I I don't have stuff in my ears while I'm doing other things for my own sanity and function. Mm -hmm. And, and, and music was actually the thing that got me started on this little, Twitter exploration that you're talking about because I used to listen to music at all times. I used to have constantly have headphones on and be constantly listening to music. It was like one of the most important things to me in my life, really, as like a teenager and in college. It was the thing that I used to kind of regulate my nervous system, basically. Mm-hmm. And not and just and also, you know, like could cause myself constant spiritual awe you know like it was a deliberate practice kind of but now it's overwhelming to me it's and it's it's not it's it's slightly it's somewhat emotionally overwhelming but more so it's just sensor over sensory overload it's like overstimulation and uh that's the level on which i've kind of stopped consuming media that hijack my sense of time and awareness Mm-hmm. Except in that one situation after we put the kids to bed where we go into a living room and close the doors and turn the lights off and sit on a couch and look at a TV and only watch video as a deliberate kind of escape, a way of resetting the world that we're in after the usually pretty stressful bedtime. Right. But but to bring it back to the beginning of your inquiry and 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 sort of ask you what it is that you're that you want to get at about this. The thing that happened on Twitter when I posted that was a ton of Buddhists and spiritual practitioners of various kinds chimed in and were like, yep, me too. Haven't read a novel in 10 years, you know, can't listen to music anymore. Like tons and tons of people confirmed that they were feeling this way. And there could be all kinds of reasons why. Maybe it's just we're all hyper saturated in media and overstimulated and can't deal anymore. But the the prevalence among spiritually inclined people was really noticeable to me. So I'm interested in why you're pointing to Buddhist teachers as a source of this information and what you think that's about. Okay. So I was also watching a YouTube video as I do. Yes. Uh, (laughs) And this, this lady, she was not, she's not Zen. She was talking about people. She wasn't even talking about Zen people, but she was talking about, certain self-help people that have adapted some Zen mentalities. And she didn't even say that. It was just that to me, that's, that's what I was thinking when I was, when she was telling about these, Mm -hmm. they kind of want, you know, to own less things and to enjoy everything to the fullest extent, simplify their lives, um, you know, do things mindfully uh, with purpose and um, their way of doing that, a lot of them have said that not only like do they have to be careful about like sort of what media they're consuming but also like the news for example like listening to the news or watching the news makes people sad um so their antidote is like don't watch the news then then it won't make you sad and this youtuber was saying well that comes from a place of privilege because you know all like what's happening to all these people 
is real and a part of their experience and by not listening you're discounting their experience somehow and the thing is is i i don't think i really i try hard not to uh listen to the news so much mm -hmm. because you know when trump was president I think I, I followed it very closely from the beginning of that, like, sort of election process. And, you know, for those four years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and now I'm just so totally over it. It's like, I've realized how sensationalized the news has been. And that makes it harder to want to listen to because the stuff that is being, you know, reported on is, is dramatic and sensationalized so that's one thing like i mean the, I, I'll, I'll go back to the movies in a second but mm -hmm. wh what do you think about that idea the, the idea that you sh that, that one should take care of oneself emotionally by choosing what information to pay attention to and let yes. it into your life sort of regardless of whether there's any kind of civic or cultural or social responsibility to know what's happening in some way. Yes. Yeah. Like I, th I, I agree. I think that that's more important. I think that, I think that, well, let me, let me put it this way. I think that media are a, are a low priority way of learning about the world. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful and terrible facet of our of our society that we can we can learn so much about our world i i, del I very carefully avoided saying the word reality there because that's not what i think <laughs> yeah. it describes the world that we believe we inhabit from these remote media that are beamed directly to us i think that that's a very useful substitute for actually getting information about our world from the sources that matter to us, but I'm, I, I, I value the web of human relations. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to find words because it's, because it, there's, there's a real slippery slope that gets very Buddhist mm -hmm. very quickly about like what media, what counts as media, like his language. Like when you're speaking to someone face to face, like, is that an unmediated interaction or are you using the media of conventional language to communicate and does it have the same problems? You know what I mean? Well, for this like argument, yeah, <laughs> I would give it to like actual forms of media and we'll say like interacting with your like community face to face or even through like Zoom, I would say it doesn't even count. I because you're not like having something translated for you. Let's just reserve conversation as a special kind of medium at the very least. Okay. And and the and and what I would say is the more deeply you are related to that person, you are in relationship with the person that you're in conversation with, the more special the medium of communication is with them than the, like compared to a one-way medium like TV or radio or podcasts or, mm -hmm. or video uh, streaming or whatever. So uh, I think that it's so much more important to get information about our world from our relationships than it is from one-way media that it's better to save your emotional reserves for being for showing up in relationships to learn about your world 
than it is to sacrifice your emotional well-being in order to have more information. To make it more concrete, people who are super duper online about everything, politics, current mm-hmm. events, news, whatever, you know, people who are people who are who have takes all day long are so exhausting to me to talk to face to face because there's so much reference, there's so much in group language and inside jokes and memes coming out of their mouths that it's actually exhausting for me to try and pick through and find out where the person is really coming from and what they're really saying in this moment. And so it, it, it damages the relationship that I have with that person to, to try and have a conversation about our, what's really going on in our lives. And that's for people who are, who are, who are in it, who are, who are getting some, I mean, they may be causing themselves emotional devastation at also on another level, but that's for people who, who feel like they get something emotionally necessary out of being online. And for people who don't feel that way, like I, I once did feel that way, but I no longer do. And it's been a long time since I do. Uh, and, and the, the, you know, this person that you're, that you're describing who stopped watching the news Cutting that off, I mean, I've left social media multiple times now, and that that doesn't mean two-way media about talking, like that involves talking to people, but it also involves cutting off sources of one-way information, video and posts and links mm-hmm. and stuff that I got from those social media networks. And cutting those off and losing the access to that sort of meme world was so worth it for my sanity and and well-being that that it's way worth whatever i mean like i okay i understand the privilege argument that like i need to know what's happening to the people you know like it's mm-hmm. like cutting myself off from from information about what's happening to in the quote unquote real world uh is it, i mean that's what it sounds like it i'm doing to people who right. are extremely online but that's not what i'm doing i i'm i'm f- making myself more available to the really real world you know, there's a million air quotes around all kinds of words like that on our show because we're Zen people. But I mean, I think what you're saying is that you can be of service uh, of a better service to your immediate community if you ha- like if your well-being is in a good place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that well, that's definitely what I'm saying on one level. But I think on a just an information level, just on a level of sort of being informed about the world, I actually feel like I'm a better neighbor and, you know, customer of, you know, service people that I, you know, barbers and grocery store clerks and, you know, like the people that I actually talk to on a day-to-day basis. If I'm, if I'm like open and curious and paying attention to what's really in front of me, I have better conversations with those people and learn more about the world that I inhabit than mm-hmm. if I were thinking about or posting about some other thing the whole time, you know, and looking at looking down into the right as I move through my world at a phone screen that was taking me somewhere else. So, so I actually feel like I'm getting more information about the world that I actually live in when I'm not looking down at a screen. And, and, but it's, but it's, I, I, I'm making this about social media again. And what we, what we started off talking about was, like entertainment media, which are used in a different way. But I do think that the same exact problem applies and it might actually be worse. And I do want to talk about 
movies and books and stories. Well, I, I only brought up news because news is kind of entertainment ne- media yeah, at this well, point. Yeah, well, sure. So. <laughs> Largely, I would say. That's kind of what I'm saying is like you get information about the real world from the world. You get information about whatever sort of meme narrative you want to get angry about from the news. The, the interesting thing is I, I've, I've kind of picked my uh, news outlets uh, wisely. I try to pick like the most like non-biased source even though that's probably not a thing but like the most i could get at least like the way that they talk about things Mm -hmm. um and then i still hear about stuff i still know what's going on um, yeah even without like a you know a very biased media source telling me with airspin on it you know Uh, yeah exactly so but back to the um film television series type uh kind of thing I think what the argument is, is that these types of media get an arousal out of people. Um, And you don't have a lot of control over that arousal response. And what does that mean as as a Buddhist, I guess, who is trying to meditate and... I don't know. I don't know that. that, See, every time I try to describe this, it's like, well, we're not trying to do that. Anyway, (laughs) uh, being more in control of their emotions is something we're known for, even if it's not true. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, So that's what I've heard from Zen uh, public figures, (laughs) is that you shouldn't be consuming things that get these sort of arousal responses out of you and i could see this argument a lot for something like porn Mm. and maybe to a lesser degree tv shows and films but i also think that there's a way to view these in a way that's more active and more critical and also a way to remove yourself from the situation i guess of the the series or whatever Mm. but not to say that these things have never affected me Mm -hmm. because i guess they do cause some sort of response in me at some times like if if it didn't i probably wouldn't watch them that would be kind of like what i guess you'd just be bored with it like Mm -hmm. i don't feel anything when i watch this tv series so i'd probably stop watching it Um, but maybe it's that like addiction to like these different kinds of emotions and feelings that uh, these public figures, these in public figures are trying to like get away from. Like you don't want to be addicted to stimulation. It might make it harder for you to appreciate the mundane, mundane world. Mm-hmm. That I think I think that. That's a, a classical Buddhist argument, and it makes sense that it sort of makes it into every Buddhist world. Uh, and the, I mean, the, the thing that I think that's interesting as a as a way of poking holes at this sort of stimulation argument is that, and maybe they maybe the, these people these Zen teachers would freely admit this, is that the those same risks apply kind of in any situation. Right. Like like it's it's not it's not this isn't a problem that's limited to media. It's a problem that's available in all sensory situations. That is to say every situation. So there's there's a there's a there's a sort of extreme quality. I mean, porn 
go- going to porn in thinking about media in this sort of sensory stimulation way, I think is a, is really revealing of the of the of the possibility that it's an extreme. It's it's an it's a non middle way relationship with sensation. If you're actively seeking out like intense, overwhelming mm-hmm. sensation, mm-hmm. Uh, at, instead of looking out the window and watching, you know, right. the raindrops. Like that, the, if you're if that if that situation isn't stimulating enough, quote unquote, and you need to turn up the intensity by watching something like that, that sounds like a craving situation. That's a real so, fundamental yeah, Buddhist that's, problem. That's kind of part of the thing that I wanted to bring up. So there's we're going to bring some film theory into nice. here. Uh, Linda Williams is a film theorist, and she uh, has grouped sort of porn horror films and melodramas together and i don't know i don't really necessarily agree with these groupings but i think the idea is that these are made to kind of elicit these strong responses Mm. out of people like melodramas it makes you cry horror film it makes you fearful uh or stressed out and then you know porn what porn does yes you know it when you see it as the famous supreme court <laughs> yeah. argument says but i've also thought like well they're not explicit to these genres like those things those arousal responses are in a lot of genres and well why isn't comedy a part of this because that mm. makes you laugh isn't that a like a sort of extreme response to something uh but yeah so whether she's right or not it could be argued but if you if you could see these things grouped together, does that make it any stronger of an argument for you? Yeah, it does. I mean, the it's it's already a pretty strong argument. I just I, there there was something that you said about the detached way of watching. I don't know if detached is the word that you would use. The the there's an okay way of watching things that I want to talk about. I want to talk about what those qualities, the qualities of that are, and how it contrasts with this way of looking at media. But I think that. The the thing I was go- the thing I will say about that is that there's an accounting for taste in a healthy way mm-hmm. of watching, uh, or or you know of of participating in media, whatever it is. And the thing about those three categories, and actually making comedy sort of the interesting exception that proves the rule, is that those three kinds of media are mono emotional, which is to say they're unrealistic, right? I mean that's mm-hmm. that's the classic sort of content-based objection to porn, right? Is that it isn't real. It's unrealistic. I mean, there's lots, I mean, there's, there's lots of content-based objections to porn, but like what, what people mean when they say it's unrealistic is that like people who watch it will form harmful understandings of sexuality. Yeah. Because, because what's depicted isn't what sexuality really is and let, let alone what it's like. And so that, but that's, that's just a, that's just one example of why I think those three mono emotional forms or genres are interesting as a, as a, um, as a way of pointing at the problem, because reality isn't like that. Reality isn't melodramatic all the time or terrifying, mortally terrifying all the time. And thank goodness. And and yeah, I mean, (laughs) even for people who are, whose lives are filled with like mortal terror all the time, like there's, there's, there's it's not like a horror film, you know, it's, it's, mm, it's no. more complex than that. And so, so there's, there's, this points at something that I wanted to say kind of 
in objection to the pure Buddhist sensory overload argument about media, which is that realism matters. And I'm not talking about realism in a philosophical sense, like in a sense of like describing what the universe is really like or something I'm, I'm saying is true to realism that meaning media that are true to life in a way that sort of stays with you and feels continuous with the learning and growing and relating that you're doing in life. And that it, what, you know, when a, when a film is all about one feeling, it's not like the rest of your life. And, and the, this leads me to the, to the healthy way of watching that you were talking about, which a word that you didn't use that I, that I wonder if you would use is that it's kind of an artistic way of watching. And I'm sure you watch as someone who studied film, I'm sure you watch film this way. And this, the, when, mm-hmm. when you're really liking it, like you're looking at it as not just a story that's transporting you somewhere else, but as like a made object with real craft and yeah. humans behind it. And you can see, you're looking at the effects and you're looking at the, you know, the, the set pieces and figuring out how they did things. You're turning it into reality. You're expanding reality to include this new universe that's on the screen and figuring out how it fits into the bigger reality. And that's both the way that sort of making art works, I feel, is like you take this sort of emotional fantasy in your inner world and turn it into something that's real by connecting it to the world that you live in and the things you know how to do and make. But it's also Uh how, I hate to use the word consuming, but like how, how relating to existing media works in a healthy way as you're sort of engaged in the creative process. And the creative process is more like reality as opposed to the passive sort of floating, uh, you know, disembodied observer having a mono emotional experience that in those genres that we're, that we're pointing to as problems. Yeah. That's, that's my, my relationship with it. It's, it's, um, something that's very important to my marriage even because that, uh, we, we got together or over our sort of, um, shared, uh, love hate with, Christopher Nolan hmm. and we you know went to go see Interstellar together and uh, discussed the film and and we've just been discussing films and uh, media objects ever since and you know my roommate will be like okay is there any tv series that's perfect like because you just seem to complain about all of them and hmm. honestly like I actually enjoy watching that's them what's even fun about it, it even if I complain about it yeah I could complain about it from like a story perspective or a representation perspective mm-hmm. or, you know, even some of these other arguments where I just thought it was too shocking just trying to get an emotional response in a cheap way, yeah. which I don't really like, honestly, but I still like horror films. So I guess that could be another argu- another discussion mm-hmm. to get into. But <laughs> I feel that I don't get as emotionally involved in the um it doesn't affect me on like a deep emotional level when i can watch the films in this way like you said from as an art object as like an, a subjective sort of like thing that a lot of people came together and created and mm-hmm. what the choices that were made in creating that piece of art um and that's the t- the types of choices they made is what i like to talk about mm-hmm. i think that there's still things in certain media, I know my limits. Mm. It doesn't 
it doesn't um, affect me on a deep emotional level to watch a horror film anymore. I've watched so many of them. <laughs> I'm sort of desensitized to them at some at, at this point. Uh, but there are certain things in media that will still affect me and that I do need to be careful about watching. Torture scenes, mm. for example. I'm just too empathetic. Like when I, I just have to close my eyes, I can't, I cannot watch it. And I, I can't watch rape scenes either. Mm-hmm. It's just, especially if they're like pretty gratuitous about it. Which like, they why is that necessary? Are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, a lot of times they are. So I'm like that, that I just feel like is kind of entirely unnecessary in most cases. Um, and I'm like, well, if you're, if you're like trying to say this is a bad thing, why are you even showing it? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know, um, but that's that's my two cents. Know, know what does affect you and try to avoid that, but it doesn't. I don't think it means that you have to avoid everything that other people think is disturbing because everybody is feels differently about different things. Like, maybe if you weren't raped, a rape scene doesn't seem that disturbing, but, you know, <laughs> for, for other people, it could, it could uh, really affect them to, to see, you know trigger warnings mm-hmm. and horror films don't affect me like that sometimes they make me feel good after watching mm-hmm. them so maybe because i'm just not in that situation so I'm like oh good i don't have to deal with that at least <laughs> a ghost isn't chasing me or whatever happens <laughs> well it reminds me of that classical buddhist genre of sort of meditating on corpses you know that's that's meant to bring you into like full visceral awareness of the fact of death and decay. But Mm -hmm. how could you not get up from that practice and feel elated to not be dead yet? (laughs) You know, like that, like how how can that not be the point? Like I'm thankful I am still here and I still have some experiences in this life and, um, you know, I think I think depressing movies can feel that way too. Where I'm just like, mm-hmm. I don't have to have that outlook on life. That's mm-hmm. a, you know, like you were saying about it being like mono emotional. Mm-hmm. Like when I watch something that's really depressing, I'm like, I recognize like that's not life. Mm-hmm. Even when I'm going through a really hard time, I have moments that are really happy and where I laugh and where I have a nice sit on the porch and uh, you know a nice walk. It's never really like like a really depressing movie (laughs) householders is a production of the atlanta soto zen center in atlanta georgia and the silent thunder order find us on the web at aszc.org our sangha depends on your support you can donate by paypal to donate at storder.org gasho